It's episode 510 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast, and today I chat with Kate Vernonau. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to episode number 510 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. If you're like me, you gorged on the Tour de France. You literally watched every kilometre, you were watching replays, you were listening to the podcasts in the evening, previewing it or sort of post-race reaction to it and previewing the next day. And then the Tour de France ends in normal years and I'm left with a gaping hole. I'm left with this void in my life. Thankfully, this year, we have something to step into that void. We have the Tour de Femme avec Zwift, the Women's Tour de France. Now, I have previously said it was the first ever Women's Tour de France. It's not, the history of it is quite convoluted, but it's back in its new incarnation. It was La Course, it was a previous iteration before that, but it's the first time we've seen a week-long Tour de France for women. For me, this moment in time, this like snapshot in time, marks a turning point in women's cycling. It marks a turning point in cycling at large, where women start to get parity with men. And it's amazing to see the coverage from mainstream media outlets, from Eurosport to the Move podcast, to other podcasts jumping on board and giving the girls the coverage they deserve, because they're some of the best athletes in the world. Today's guest, it's Kate Vernonau. She is one of the people behind the scenes at Swift who had a large hand in bringing the title sponsorship to the Tour de Femme. The title, the full, to give it its full, correct and proper title, it's Tour de Femme avec Swift. The avec Swift part, Kate had a huge role in that. And without Swift and without Kate, who knows if we have a women's Tour de France. She is part of the women's strategy group over at Swift. You've seen her popping up this week everywhere from, she's mentioned on the Move podcast yesterday with Lance Armstrong to Orla Chenois and the crew, Adam Bloyd and stuff on Eurosport had her on the breakaway. That goes to show how pivotal she is in the whole movement. So I'm really honoured and privileged to welcome her onto the Roadman Cycling Podcast today. This is an interview I recorded just before she headed away to the Tour de Femme avec Zwift. And I'm privileged and honoured to bring it to you now. So please welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the hype girl for the Tour de Femme avec Zwift. It's Kate Vernano. Hello, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me all the way from US of A. That's right. Los Magic Angeles. of the internet. <laughs> I've I've had a had Corey Williams on the podcast, uh, and it's it's amazing. I know you guys have a connection with Legion, but it's amazing what those guys have done and starting to bring cycling to a totally new, previously unserved segment of society. Absolutely. I absolutely love what the team is doing. Um, they are expanding the audience. They are, uh, they're really introducing cycling to, you know, the, the, to so many new people and they're changing the way the sport looks and feels and the way it's consumed. Um, they're a very, very exciting squad. How closely do you work with uh, someone like that? Do you just come on and take, you know, a, a big, I, I don't know what the, the cash figure to change hands, but they seem to be a, you seem to be a big backer of theirs. How hands-on are you with someone like that? 
Yeah, we're, we work with them very closely. Um, I personally don't like manage the relationship, but I just follow very closely. Um, I, I am especially excited about their women's squad, um, which was a, you know, a newer addition. Um, but yeah, we, we aligned with them because we were so excited about what they were doing for the future of the sport. Um, they're real game changers and uh, just uh, really a smart crew that is doing really fun things in cycling and, and just, just making the sport so much more accessible and, uh, and, and reaching a broader audience. And that's what cycling needs. It needs some fresh energy. It needs a new look. It needs, you know, uh, more athletes in it, you know, like not just the uh, traditional, you know, white European male cyclist, you know, so uh, <laughs> I, I love what they're doing. But that's exactly how this conversation came around. So the background to this for listeners that haven't followed it. So this week, we're doing a little bit of a tour de femme as Vec Zwift week. So we have yourself and Ashley Momapasio. I know. Yeah. And I used to race in France as well. And I always just totally butcher these. Like I was saying a stage finished the other day. I was like, it's Carcassonne to Foix. And I've like all my old French teammates lying into my DMs going, like, what did you just do to our language? <laughs> you just killed it. <laughs> but it, the, the background to this one is I was chatting to Ashley and we have a Friday podcast. Okay, if you haven't heard it yet, it's definitely one you should check out. So Friday's podcast is myself and my girlfriend and she co-hosts a podcast with me and it's called Newbie Questions. And she asks all the questions you ask as a newbie, but maybe some people are kind of scared to ask now. But what blows my mind is we've had some huge, huge guests on the podcast, like even the last month, you know, George Hincapie has been on the podcast. We've had big names. And every week, the most downloaded episode is the Friday chat with Sarah. So it's, it. it's touching something. It's bringing the new demographic into the sport. That's right. She asks things like, you know, how do I take my pedals off? Like, why can't I turn my bike upside down if I puncture? Like, why does my helmet and my socks have to match? And all these sort of stupid questions. But one of the one of the conversations we were having on the Friday podcast is, like, in a real sort of almost brainstorming way, why can we not get more girls into the sport? Why, if we turn up to our Saturday group rides, why is this, to use an Irish term, a total sausage fest? Yep. <laughs> so, and do you have the same experience in L.A.? Actually, LA is one of the best, most uh, approachable, accessible cycling scenes because it's incredibly diverse in terms of people and uh, level and types of rides, types of bikes. Uh, there's there's something for everybody in LA, and I think it's actually that's one of the reasons that there's so many influencers and so many trends start in LA, and so many teams start in LA, and companies start in LA because it's uh, I think it's it's really progressive cycling scene. But uh, that is the problem in cycling is, is what are we all doing to welcome newbies in? And what are, you know, where are the pathways for people that are kind of just curious about cycling or just starting out? It, it, it's an intimidating sport. There's a lot that goes with it. Um, even, you know, the, the safety element and, you know, getting comfortable on roads and traffic and with cars and in pelotons. There's so much learning in the early stages of cycling that, you know, you really have to think about how can you make that more accessible to, to the new rider. Because I can still totally remember my first group ride. You know, traumatic experiences just get etched mm -hmm. into your brain. So my first group ride, I had all the kit because I got a hand-me-down from a guy who used to race pro. So I had all the kit. So I looked legit. Like, I looked too legit to quit. Rocked up to the group ride wearing all the kit. 
And I wanted to stop, but I was like, okay, I'm coming in a bit hot here, so I'm not going to jam on the brakes. I'm going to, instead of nestling at the back, I'm going to just pull in at the front. So I scrubbed off my speed, pulled in at the front. Bear in mind, this is like the second day on my road bike with clip-in pedals, and you can see where this one's going. So I stop, and I just forget that I'm actually locked into these pedals. So in front of the group, I just go, boom, down. (laughs) And, you know, I was like early 20s quite confident because i was high performance in another sport coming across and it's like that was a difficult scene to break into so we still have all those problems but then when you talk about gender specific problems for females you have and like some of the ones we threw out are like cycling kit is like wearing you know body paints to a festival like it is not a flattering look on even very athletic girls you have a male-dominated environment, which is super intimidating. You have concerns about safety, which is kind of two-pronged, as in safety from cars and safety from like actual physical attack on the road, being quite vulnerable and isolated. Mm-hmm. And I listed all these reasons. And then I chatted with Ashley, and we were talking something similar. And she's like, but Zwift solves all that. And I just had this moment because yeah. I haven't been a massive lover of indoor training. I had this moment going, oh my God, this actually, this is, this changes everything. This is a, it's the gateway drug to get people into the sport. Yeah. I hear this all the time. In fact, I was on a ride yesterday and I had a woman um, direct message me on the ride and say that over the pandemic, she found Swift and it was, you know, her introduction to cycling and she's found so much community and training. And now she takes it outside. She does gravel racing and stuff. Um, it's an incredibly welcoming community. Uh, there is, it's, uh, there's, there's kind of something for everybody. And I would say, especially our women's community is incredibly encouraging and supportive. And there's kind of rides for, you know, every level, you know, so if you're, you're brand new to cycling and you have all these questions and you're literally on a ride, you know, messaging, you know, you can ask kind of anything, and you'll get like, you know, the, you know, kind of crowdsourced answers. It's really exciting and fun. Um, and and I, I've seen so many women just, uh, just, you know, go down the rabbit hole of cycling and just get really into it because of uh, they joined like one group ride on Zwift and, and found uh, some wonderful new friends and new fitness and just keep coming back for more. Because what happened to me in my head, and it's it's interesting because I every morning I'll try and do a little bit of a mental spew out onto the page in my journal and just try. And sometimes my notes make no sense, but other times they make sense. But I was journaling about this and why I was quite anti-indoor training because I was making a direct comparison between indoor training and outdoor mm-hmm. riding. I'm like, well, they're not the same. They're not the same. Like, you've no skills. You don't learn to descend. You don't learn to yeah. corner. You don't learn to ride in a group. Like, all this is true, but you don't need to compare apples with apples. Nope. They're two different things. We can com- we can have both, and they can coexist. Exactly. I talk about this all the time. Indoor cycling is an incredible supplement to outdoor cycling, um, and they can, they can uh, help each other out so much, but they can also exist independently in the most beautiful way. And um, there's so many, especially women on Zwift, that just Zwift. They actually don't ride outside, and I love that. And then there's a ton of, of pros that, you know, use Zwift to supplement their training. And that's where they do their super intense intervals because of the, the safety and the control. Um, racing on Zwift, it's not like outdoor racing. Uh, if you're really good at racing in Zwift, you might be really good at outdoor racing as well or vice versa. But they're uh, a different discipline in, in a really great way. And I think uh, that's, 
that's the future of cycling is like stop, you know, the direct comparisons and talk about, you know, how the sport can evolve in different ways, you know, and uh, that's, that's something we've seen on the platform. And it's, it's exciting to see, you know, how it can influence outdoor cycling, but it's also exciting to see how it also creates its own community, its own discipline, its own style of, of riding. Great. I love the quote, uh, strong opinions held loosely, and I'm going to totally hold my hand up and say I was wrong. I was wrong <laughs> on this because I done the same with gravel, and now mm-hmm. you know I'm off to Iceland oh, yeah. for the rift. I was like at the start, like oh, I don't get strong gravel, opinion. like roads are fine, but it's oh, like totally. hold on, like now I absolutely love gravel. I like it more than I like riding the road. Yeah, I can't tell you how many pros because of the pandemic, uh, got on Zwift, you know, they literally could not ride outside, you know, in a lot of areas in in Europe, especially, they were not allowed to ride like more than a couple K from their house. So they ended up kind of reluctantly, you know, getting on Zwift, including Ash, and just fell hard for it, you know, did a couple races, like really got it. And it's a, it's a really fun way, you know, to, to efficiently ride to socially ride, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's a fun thing. So are you guys actively targeting or marketing to customer segments? Like, are you actively going after a female market and trying to push that? Or is it more of a, you know, cause with, we'll get into Tour de France, Tour de Femme avec Swift, as you say, a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in a little bit, but in general, is it the sort of segmentation of your marketing heavily geared towards getting more girls into it? Or is it just across the board? Um, I would say, I mean, my, as director of women's strategy, I am 100% focused on getting more women into it. I think it's, uh, I think it's a great platform for women. I've seen so many women really enjoy it from a training, from a training perspective, from a social perspective, from a safety perspective, from an efficiency perspective. You know, women are busy. We we juggle a lot, and to be able to, you know, to jump on and do your ride in, and it be like this dependable experience, you know, with a fun crew. And to be, you know, done within an hour and on to the next thing. I hear so many yeah. women that, that just kind of need that in their life. So I think it's a great place for women. I also, um, you know, I get really excited about what we're doing, you know, to elevate and grow women cycling from starting with Zwift Academy that started in 2016, which is that this is our global talent ID competition on the platform that started as a women's program with Canyon Stream Racing to find the next pro on the platform. So we use Zwift, you know, to host a competition and uh, create a new pathway to the pros. And, you know, that first year, it was a thousand women that joined the program. And they went through this, like, it was like, that year, it was like three month long training program together. And I would say that like 95% of the women weren't doing it to go for the pro contract. They were just doing it because they were like, hey, there's a, there's a community I can train with. And this is kind of fun. And it's, you know, it's a challenge. And so that first year we did find, you know, an incredible talent and that was very exciting. But what we ended up doing was building the foundation of our women's community on Zwift. And that, that was even more exciting. And then this, this past year we had uh, 150,000 in Zwift Academy, uh, men and women. And on the men's side, we actually had Jay Vine, the winner from two years ago. So Jay came onto the podcast and we done the life of a Neo pro. So I think we're touching base once a quarter where he was keeping us up to date on, you know, kind of almost his imposter syndrome at the start and how he was struggling to fit in to becoming a bona fide top level rider. It was a really interesting to watch him. I can't wait to get him back on again. Yeah, and you should also have Neve Bradbury, the 2020 women's winner, same as his year. Neve just placed 10th overall in the Giro Dominic. 
we're going to chat off air and that one's going to happen. I think she's 20, 21 years old from Australia. And, the, you know, one thing we hear, uh, there's so much competition in Zwift Academy from Australia and New Zealand because it's really hard to get seen in Australia and New Zealand. Yes. It's really hard to get to Europe, to get to the races, to get on the teams, to, you know, to, to get the performances. So the fact that they can, you know, uh, they can show their strength on Zwift, it's become like a real pathway to the pros there. And, and a lot of riders really focus on it. Uh, and it's even the development, um, uh, the, the federations actually tell juniors to, you know, to juniors and young, you know, U23 riders to get on Zwift and, and uh, use this opportunity to get seen. Because that's well, the most I think... exciting thing too is... Yeah, it's not no longer just the winner that's getting a contract. Now finalists are getting contracts and getting new opportunities. But when I think about those two things in uh, like amalgamated together, so we have the idea of Zwift is eroding these barriers to participation. And then we have this Zwift Academy, like creating pipelines from Australia into the yeah. Pro Tour. It's like almost like where's the next application of these two? Because when I think about who has real life barriers yeah africa africa has such huge barriers and i know at the moment maybe you know i'm not sure what internet connectivity is like in parts of africa or you know zwift setup is it's quite expensive so Mm -hmm. you know that's obviously another problem but it seems like such an amazing way to identify talent in africa and some of these countries you know they're not that safe to ride the roads road traffic is very bad thinking around Nairobi and stuff where yeah, we've listeners in the podcast from there and they reach out saying it's just so hard to train in these places mm-hmm. because the traffic, they will run you over and leave you for dead on the side of the road. Yeah. It's super scary. Um, yeah. I, I hope that that's uh, the next evolution of Zwift is even, you know, more accessible in more countries. And uh, I know that, you know, trainers, there is going to be better options at a lower price point to make it a little bit more accessible so that's an exciting development as well. And is hardware something you guys, I know you had talked about going down the hardware road. Is that something you're still considering? Yes, it is in consideration. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can't give much more away. <laughs> uh, Tour de France uh, avec Swift. How did, how did this come about? How did you get involved with this? The Tour de France Femme avec Swift. Uh, this is a great story. It actually started... Um, pandemic so in the darkness of the pandemic a little bit of bright light was our partnership with aso really blooming so in 2020 nobody was really sure what was going to happen with the tour de france that year and uh we got together with aso and we said let's do a exhibition kind of race on zwift a tour de france virtual on the platform and, you know, we're both like, yeah, this is great. Like, you know, all the uh, media is excited for any kind of racing, you know, uh, riders are excited for any kind of competition. Let's, let's make this happen. And on Zwift, when we do racing, we do it complete with complete parity. We always do the same distance, the same opportunity, the same broadcast, the same prize purse. So when we said we'll do the Tour de France virtual, we said, well, that's the way we go on Zwift. And ASO was like, okay, that's, that's, that's the deal. So we invited all the world tour teams, you know, to compete in this five day stage race and equal distances uh, across both and equal broadcast. And we even switched the broadcast each day where like one day the men would start first and the next day the women would start first. And the viewership was off the charts for both. The women's race so was were better. Were you streaming it? Huh? Oh yeah. It was on, it was on Eurosport, I believe. 
Yeah. It yes, was actually, I caught some of them on Eurosport. So it was widely, widely uh, broadcast, and the women's racing was better. They, uh, the shorter distances on Zwift suited their racing style because it's a much more aggressive style. They're used to the shorter distances on the road as well. They also, I think, took advantage of the opportunity. They saw this as a great opportunity to be seen by the world. Um, you know, we're, we're putting on this, this race. It's got the Tour de France banner on it. Uh, people are going to be watching, you know, this is a way to build fans. This is a way to get their sponsors excited. So they brought it. It was exciting racing. It was so much fun. Um, and, uh, the women, honestly, they crushed it. And I think that that just, that was the, that was the proof ASO, I think needed to, uh, to recognize that there is an appetite there. There is an audience and, and women deserve this stage now. And that's what kicked off the conversations around a partnership. And shortly after we signed the deal to be the four-year title sponsor of Tour de France Bomb of x -Wift. It's amazing. It's amazing right. to see even the media coverage that is rightly being poured upon it. Like the biggest podcast in our game is Lance Armstrong, George Hincapie, yeah. uh, the move in terms of download figures. Uh, and they are extending it for an extra week to do Tour de Femme. I'm so thrilled. I'm uh, talking to Mari Holden later this week. Ali Tetrick and Mari Holden are going to be uh, some of the personalities uh, covering it. It's it's great and it's time. It's the women's racing is so good. It's never been better than it is at this moment because of a couple years of a bigger, stronger investment, of um, salaries being raised, the minimum salary being raised, so that women can be professional cyclists and they can do this as a career and they can do it full time. And so now the racing has never been better because the level is higher, the depth depth of the team is higher, the teamwork is stronger it's the best time to shine the biggest light on the sport. I've talked on the podcast about there's, you know, we used to have the idea of making it in cycling, you know, quote, yeah. unquote, making it. But the idea of making it was really, you know, it was the the fat, white, middle-aged dude who was a director in Belgium. His idea of making it was, you know, you've got to be winning classics in the Ardennes. You've got to be winning yeah. the Flemish classics. Like That was the only way to make it. But now over the last few years, especially the pandemic has accelerated this, there's mm -hmm. a proliferation of different ways you can make it. You know, if you're paying your bills and you're living a life for the, your life revolves around the bike, you've made it. Like I've Pete Stetna on the podcast, who's a gravel pro. He's made it. I've, you know, a vegan cyclist is an upcoming episode for yeah. me as well. He's a YouTuber. Like he's made it. You know, yeah. what I'm trying to do with the podcast, you know, if I get there, I will class that as I've made yeah. it. Do you see a situation where we could have Zwift professionals? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, as, as the audience expands for cycling, I mean, you know, it, like it's, there's there's tons of Zwifting on Twitch and things. There's, you know, people watching, you know, races uh, live streamed. Uh, there's so many personalities that, you know, are just uh, kind of inviting you in and and uh, having individuals control their own content and have all these different ways to showcase what they're doing. I mean, I know it, like Instagram alone has been one of the best things ever for, for women cycling because women could can start now control you know, uh, you know their uh, their audience and and build their own content and and really connect with with fans and sponsors. The same thing could definitely happen with Zwift Racers, and there's a lot of fun personalities on the platform. So you're already seeing it a bit, uh, and I think that's that's definitely going to grow as we continue like our esports world championship and and other you know like top top tier 
uh, competitions on the platform. There's one challenge that I chatted to Ashley about and just to briefly touch on that one and then also as a follow-up to that to see what other challenges you foresee with Swift. One for me is the idea of weight. And mm-hmm. I've had previously on the podcast, you know, ex-World Tour writers like Yanni Brakovic, who is one stage as a criterium, the Dauphiné. You know, he's been in a two-up with Contador going up Alpe d'Huez. He's dropped Contador in the final kilometers. He's got into his hotel and he's made himself sick because he thought he was Ugh. too fat. He's just won up Alpe d'Huez yeah. and he's made himself sick because he thought he was too fat. Eating disorders are, you know, they're common across society. They seem to be extra common in cycling and the sport we love. How do we reconcile that that eating disorders are quite common in cycling with the idea of verifying people's weight within Zwift? Because I think this is going to be a challenge. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, it's definitely something that uh, keeping a very close eye on and, and trying to think about how we can move away from uh, just you know too much focus on weight. But it, it you know unfortunately on the platform right now it is. Uh, it's so dependent on, you know, you know, the, you know, the, the dynamics of it are so dependent on knowing exact, you know, measurements like that. Uh, I think that we'll have to also think about how we evolve racing on Zwift to not just be a pure power to weight, um, competition. Like, you know, how can we make it more gamified to ensure that there's more skill involved and it's not just whoever can hold the, the, the most power because of, you know, their exact perfect power to weight ratio for a certain amount of time. So I think that that's going to be a big part of the evolution of racing on Zwift because I definitely, I want to move away from it being too focused on weight. Um, what I've read in the research for the podcast, it does seem like the algorithm is changing. Like Jay Vine is a classic example of a, a Zwift <laughs> racer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a Zwift racer, if you bring him onto the road, is really a climber. You know, you wouldn't yeah. get a, a, a Sepp van Mark who's going to win a Zwift Esports World Championship because he's high 70, if not 80 kilograms, or Filippo Ghana. So there's a type of Zwift racer, but it seems like the algorithm is changing to prioritize things like front Larry, how big a rider is, and, you know, mm-hmm. be less dependent on weight. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's one of the places we're really focusing, uh, really really closely on, on how we can, you know, continue to evolve the dynamics. Um, I just had a conversation with John Mayfield, the, who actually created the game the other day about how we can uh, create new categories. And I mean, they're putting a ton of work into ensuring that, that uh, everybody feels like they can be a successful racer on Zwift. And it does not just come down to that. And you could also, you know, find the right category for you. And it's, you know, it's all, it's it's fair and exciting and it is not you know just a pure power to weight ratio thing and undoubtedly as the zwift proper full-on zwift races with big prize money start becoming more common we're gonna see people cheating we're gonna see doping starting to happen is this a concern how we regulate around this or are you just going to lean on existing structures? Because I guess I haven't seen it on both sides where I've been on whereabouts testing for mm-hmm. quite a while on national federations. When you step away from whereabouts and you're a, you know, technically an amateur rider, mm-hmm. if you were so minded to cheat, you have a lot of leeway to cheat when you're not on whereabouts. And I yeah. guess an, a lot of Zwift riders won't be on whereabouts. So when you bring in the financial incentive, is that a worry that you need to create a regulatory framework around this? Oh, yeah, there already is. Um, you know, and there's a lot of work done behind the scenes uh, to validate performance. 
So especially if there's any money attached, you know, we do have, uh, you know, uh, some really great resources to help us identify anything that, that looks fishy. Um, there will always be cheating in, in, in cycling, you know, and uh, you kind of do what you can to, to regulate it. But you also, you know, we're not going to let it hold us back, you know, yeah. and of, of course, try and create the most fair platform possible um, and try to stay ahead of it. Uh, but that's that's what we can do. There's such a difference between having a nice swift indoor setup. One of my early experiences, yeah. we were chatting off air when I was like, I had this idea of I, I wanted to make some sort of cycling content, but I wasn't too sure what it was. So I dipped my toe into YouTube for a little bit and I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to make a YouTube video every day. And I think I lasted like four months making a YouTube video every day. <laughs> it's never try it. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, but one of the YouTube videos I made was I rode 200 kilometers on Zwift and here's what happened. <laughs> it was a rough day out because I just didn't have the setup for oh, it. I just dived into Zwift and it's a long, long day out. I wouldn't encourage it. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's crazy. Uh, I just want to finish up uh, with the big one this week, uh, yeah. the sort of um, Avex Zwift. What's your predictions for it? What does success look like for you guys? Do you have a, a particular horse you're backing in the race or are you just looking for the whole event to go smoothly and be well received from the public? Oh, I want it to be a thrilling uh, thrilling competition from start to finish. I think each stage, it's a race within a race. So each stage is going to be really hard fought. You're going to see heroic performances and incredible teamwork. Um, you know, our success is eyes on you know eyes on the racing is just you know people tuning in we know the racing is great it's all about just you know bringing new fans on board bringing all the tour de france fans on board for the tour de france fama vex swift um and bringing you know just new new interest and new enthusiasm around the women's pro peloton i think the uh the course is incredibly exciting it's a uh, fantastic, uh, you know, terrain that's really going to showcase the depth of the of the teams and the depth of the talent right now. So you're going to potentially see a different winner every stage. Um, I think, I mean, I there's there's a bunch of teams that are really uh, stacked for this, like an SD Works, FDJ. Van Vluten, of course, is always going to be the one to beat. Um, Canyon SRAM, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about how much support they're going to have for Cassia. So I, I think, I mean, I cannot wait. It's, it's funny. I'm going to be at the race. I'm, I'm representing Zwift at the race. I can't wait to be there, but Amazing. I also, I'm going to be running around a lot, doing a lot of interviews and different things. And I'm like, I just want to, I'm going to just going to be trying to find a TV where I can just be glued to it, you know, where I can watch every second because that's the beauty of women's racing is the, the, it's it's so dynamic. It's aggressive from the start. You know, the, the races are, you know, they're not quite as long as the men's. You know, they're significant. I think it's like most stages are, are 100 to 175K. Um, but the attacks go from the gun. So you really don't want to miss a minute. And that's one of the best parts of it. It is action-packed from start to finish. And I think it's... Um, I think that what this is also going to do is is help evolve cycling it, it, by showcasing new formats. Some people are like, oh, why isn't it 21 days? That's the Tour de France. And maybe the Tour de France doesn't have to be 21 days. Like, let's talk about what women's cycling has to offer the future of viewership in the sport and, and fan base in the sport. That maybe an eight-day stage that's jam-packed from start to finish is a great way to introduce new audiences, you know, to how much 
how thrilling it is and and that and, and you know all of the nuances that we have we know so well in watching a bike race um, i'm very excited for uh, such expansive coverage you know to really be talking especially new audiences through you know what's going on in the race you know the the fight for the jerseys the fight over the you know the teams the gc it's gonna be great Kate, your passion for it just absolutely shines <laughs> through and it's totally infectious. Uh, have a great week out at the tour. Uh, yes. Really appreciate you joining me because I know your time is super precious at the moment. I have one more plug that everybody has to take. It has to watch uh, the Tour de France Femme of with because there is a very special plush animal on the podium, you know, the men's lion. Well, yeah. that's because of uh, Credit Lyonnais. Is, that's the mascot for, um, you know, the bank. But for Zwift, our mascot is a squirrel. And uh, there is a podium squirrel, and he is incredibly awesome. And it's just, you know, us bringing our Zwift fun to the, the Women's World Tour. So keep an eye out for Podium Squirrel. He also has his own Instagram account. And so. Squirrel's my favorite animal. So there we go. What a nice way to end the podcast. Right? <laughs> thank you, Timothy. What okay. a pleasure. I hope everybody Thank you in. for joining me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're getting value from the podcast, can I ask you for one small favor before you head about your day? Can you make a point of sharing episodes that you have enjoyed with friends who you think need to hear that message? Or better yet, if you get the episode link and share it into a club, Facebook or WhatsApp group, whatever your particular club is using. I truly believe that we're building something valuable and something special here on the Roadman Cycling Podcast, but I need your help. I need the help of every single Roadman Cycling Podcast listener to spread the word. It is much appreciated, Roadman.